Welcome to Living Hero. I'm Jari Chevalier, and our guest today is an expert in the field of homeopathic medicine and integrative healthcare, Dr. Lori Grossman. She has been in private practice since 1984 and has a passion for sharing the many benefits of holistic health care through homeopathy. Located on New York's Upper West Side, Dr. Grossman has developed the curriculum in homeopathy and teaches in the holistic departments of the graduate schools at New York University, the College of New Rochelle, and the New York Chiropractic College. She has taught at medical centers in New York City, including Sloan Kettering Memorial Hospital, the Hospital for Special Surgery, and Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. Dr. Grossman is chair of the Department of Medicine and Humanistic Studies at the American Medical College of Homeopathy. I am so pleased to bring you Dr. Lori Grossman. I just want to say how thrilled I am that you agreed to talk with me and our listeners today. I'm thrilled right back. Laura, you're going to talk about homeopathy, and just by way of some background, you grew up here in America uh, where modern medicine is the dominant force in treatment, and I'm just wondering, how did you first come in contact with homeopathy and how it works? How well, did you I cho- choose? It chose me. I... Um, Many, many years ago, about 30 years ago, I have a son that was an infant. I laid him down to take a nap, and he napped a little longer than usual, so of course I did what all moms do, delighted to have two seconds to either cook something without a little baby grabbing on me or, you know, go to the bathroom or take a shower by myself. But then the time was passing and he wasn't waking up. Eventually, I, I don't know what made me do it, but I put my cheek on his forehead and he was aflame. He was burning up. So I called my pediatrician, who I had selected because I knew he did some natural medicine, and I don't even know what that actually was back in those days. But um, he, he told me to try to take the baby's temperature, and it was 105 and a half. So I raced wow. him to the office, terrified at the time, because then, given my training until that point, I really thought that there was, he was going to have some brain damage if he survived at all. And I got to the doctor's office, and on first examination, there was this whole quandary of what the heck is going on. No one had a clue. And then eventually, this doctor who had had some training in Europe said to me, oh, don't worry. And he put a few little drops on my son's tongue and said to me, just sit down here, honey, and just wait. And I thought I was a young mom. I thought he was, you know, kind of teasing me. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, my son was absolutely fine. He opened his eyes. He smiled at me. And so I said to the doctor, what in the world was in that? He said it was a homeopathic medicine. He says, we use it all the time in Europe. Anyway, I was so thrilled my baby was alive and healthy and happy that I really didn't ask any more questions about homeopathy at the time. But shortly thereafter, I was in New York City, and I saw a raggedy piece of paper tacked to a lamppost one day, and it said, Classes in Homeopathic Medicine, Wednesday nights, 9.30, whatever it is. So I, sure enough, I went, oh, my God, there's that word homeopathy again. I went to this little session or this class, and I climbed up four flights of steps in a walk-up, and I got there, and there were a bunch of hippies sitting on pillows, you know, drinking herbal tea, wearing Birkenstocks and all that kind of stuff, and not all great. So the presenter, who was just a layperson, was reading case after case after case of homeopathic stories where a person with chronic headaches, someone with asthma, someone with depression, 
all these people were healed with homeopathy after years of talk therapy, after years of going from one doctor to another, going to the best hospitals in the country. And I went up to the instructor afterwards and I said, you know, I'm an Ivy League graduate. I took a program at, at Harvard. I was trained at Cornell. I studied every form of holistic medicine that was coming down the pike in the 60s and the 70s. I never heard of homeopathy. Where can I learn more? And is there a real legitimate program, you know, not just hippies sitting on pillows, but a real legitimate program where, you know, um, I could study with people who are licensed healthcare professionals. He says, there's nothing in the country. I said, nothing? And I told him the story of my son with the fever. He says, that's not unusual. It's a typical story. And so I wound up going back and forth to Europe. I went to Greece. I went to France. I went to England. And I studied with whatever or whoever physician would allow me to sit by their side while they treated their patients because in Europe, homeopathic medicine is taught within the regular program. It's not such an unknown entity like it is in this country. So I wound up then studying with some physicians in Berkeley, California, and we brought over a physician um, who was practicing uh, homeopathy from Europe and um, studied with him, and I wound up studying with the first medical doctors in the U.S. that were teaching homeopathy at the time. And then it just grew from there. I moved back to New York. In California, almost everybody wound up practicing in cities like Boulder, Colorado, Berkeley, California, and so it was keeping homeopathy in the crunchy granola towns, and I was hell-bent mm-hmm. on bringing homeopathy to people that ate Cheerios. So that, that's what brought me to New York, and then the story just continues from there of all the different places that I tried to teach and tried to implement homeopathic medicine in the curriculum in different schools and in the treatment plans of different hospitals. You brought up a lot of things that I'm very interested in having you go into in greater depth. And the first thing is you did mention having studied so many different forms of natural medicine yourself before settling on homeopathy, and there is just so much out there now in the world of natural medicine, herbal treatments and acupuncture and megavitamin therapy and various forms of body work. You know, the list goes on and on. And so can you tell us what really makes homeopathy different from other natural therapies? Well, it's different in many ways. It's a form of energy medicine that works on the whole vital force of the person. So similar to acupuncture or maybe hands-on healing, it really affects the whole person, which not every form of natural medicine does. You know, if you take an herb like echinacea for um, a cold, then you're not working on the whole body. You're just working on that one symptom. If you take astragalus for a cough, the same thing. You're not working on the whole body. You're just working on that one symptom. But homeopathy, when when you're going to a homeopath that's trained in classical homeopathy, you're really going to look at all your symptoms, the entire body, your physical, emotional, and mental well-being. And so homeopathy really addresses the whole person where not every natural therapy does. Homeopathy is very gentle. Homeopathic medicines are they're, they're tiny little globules that just dissolve on your tongue with a slight sweet taste. So they're very easy to give to children. They're very easy to give to the elderly and people who are very weak. You don't have to go out of your home to take a homeopathic medicine. So people who are 
confined to their homes, don't have to go to a special office for initial visit perhaps, but, you know, ongoing support can oftentimes be done over the telephone. And homeopathy uses medicines that are derived from plants, minerals, and animals. So it does work in conjunction with all three of the natural kingdoms on the earth. Of course, herbs just work with the plant kingdom and certain supplements, like, you know, when you take a mineral supplement, you're just working with the mineral kingdom. So homeopathy really uses all the different natural substances that are on the earth in a way that helps us to heal the body in a very complete and whole way. So how do you take a case? Many of the listeners today uh, are probably not familiar with the basic tenets of the homeopathic system of diagnosis and treatment, you know, the basic philosophy and vocabulary behind it. So if you could take us through that, give us, in a sense, a, a mini course on how you work with someone, I think that would be very valuable before we go on into some of the other things I'd like to touch on today. Sure. Well, um, it's an excellent question that you ask because oftentimes someone will say someone has a headache. When they come to see me, they often expect the same kind of exam or the same kind of office visit that you would expect from a conventional medical doctor. And homeopathic visits are very, very different from that. There might be a physical exam that's depending on the, the, you know, the background or the training of the homeopath, but there's a tremendous amount of talking that goes on. And the talking is just to reveal your symptoms. Now, your symptoms start with your headache, but a homeopath needs to know the symptoms of your headache in much more detail. It's not just where does it hurt. It's where does it hurt? What time of day is it worse? Is there anything that you do that makes the headache feel better or worse? You say you have pain. What kind of pain? Is it throbbing? Is it shooting? Is it aching? Are there certain foods that make it worse? Are there certain activities that make it worse? When it comes on, does it come on gradually or does it come on suddenly? We have numerous, numerous questions that we ask just about the headache, but then we don't stop there. We need to know all the other physical symptoms that a patient might have, emotional symptoms. And when I say symptoms, it doesn't just mean things that are wrong with you. Your general emotional makeup plays a huge part in selecting the right remedy to help restore the balance in your body and bring out the body's strength and vitality. And then in addition to the emotional, we also go into the mental. And by mental, I mean how clear is your thinking? How well is your memory attention, retention? How um, can you concentrate easily? Do you become spacey easily? All of those things are very important, as well as general things like do you tend to be chilly? Do you tend to be warm? What kind of foods do you like? What kind of foods don't you like? What are your dreams like? What are your passions? What are your fears? All of those things go into selecting the remedy that will hopefully get rid of your headache. And once a homeopath has all those symptoms written down, all that information written down, then a homeopath turns to a book that's called a repertory. And a repertory lists all the different, it's a listing of all the different symptoms that people have reported over the last several hundred years and the different homeopathic remedies that help those symptoms the best. And then the homeopath will analyze the case to see if there's a certain remedy that keeps coming up again and again for the different symptoms that a person has. And if the homeopath finds that, yes, there's one remedy that keeps coming up for all the different symptoms, 
symptoms related to your physical body, symptoms related to your emotional symptoms, and your mental symptoms. Then the homeopath will turn to another book called Materia Medica, read about that substance, which could be come from the plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom, or the animal kingdom, and see if, yes, that picture really captures the core of this person. The symptoms match, and the whole um, circle or the whole globe of symptoms that are present here really come together in a very good compatible form. And that's when the homeopath recommends that remedy. And certainly after the initial visit, homeopaths usually give the patient about five weeks till they come back for a second visit, unless it's, you know, a acute condition like a sore throat or something like that. But for a chronic condition, because, of course, everybody has good weeks and everybody has bad weeks, and the homeopath will see whether or not this remedy has kind of triggered the body to invigorate the vital healing force of the body so that all of these different things start coming into balance. The nice thing is that along with the headaches going away, you should see a leveling of any sort of emotional challenges or mental challenges. So as I say to patients, the only side effect that you have with a homeopathic remedy is that you can feel better in other areas besides your chief complaint. Isn't it the case that since you're working to invigorate the vital healing force that if you hit it with the correct remedy that the person might actually get a worsening of their symptoms briefly before they start feeling better? Yes. A worsening of symptoms is called an aggravation. And interestingly enough, I'm not quite so sure why this gets so much press because in my practice, I would only say maybe 5% of patients experience an aggravation. But for whatever reason, yes, you can experience a worsening of symptoms. The nice thing is that tends not to last very long, maybe a day or so. And the super nice thing is that the people who tend to get aggravations from a remedy, it's almost as though the homeopathic medicine has really hit the nail on the head and it's really touched upon that part of the body that's out of balance. And as the body starts to um, deal with that or react to that, there's a bringing out of the symptoms, but that tends to pass very easily without any need for any other medication or whatever it is. And then those patients tend to have a very, very nice positive result to the remedy. So I always, it's really funny. I say to patients, if you have an aggravation, give me a call right away. You know, I'll, you know, talk you through it or whatever it is. And when they do call me, if this does happen, I usually go, oh, great, you're probably going to do wonderfully. So, of course, I don't like that they're feeling bad for a day or so, but generally they're very happy. It's a good sign. So if you would, the law of similars, the whole basis of the minimum dose and the law of similars that governs homeopathic treatment, would you talk about those a little bit too? Sure. Well, the law of similars was only put into words after homeopaths saw how homeopathic medicines worked. So let me kind of walk you through it so that the listeners can understand for themselves what the law of similars is. When when Samuel Hahnemann, who was a medical doctor in Germany, he wound up leaving his practice. It was the late 1700s. At that time, medical doctors practiced with heavy metals and lots of poisons, and half the patients unfortunately died. After a while, Hahnemann said, okay, enough of this. I can't deal with this. So he left his medical practice and went into medical editing. He spoke something like 10 different languages. So he was translating different studies, and he came upon a study of 
Peruvian uh, quinchona bark. And this bark was used to cure malaria. So Hahnemann contacted the researcher and said, why do you think this stuff cures malaria? And he says, because it's so bitter. Well, Hahnemann replied, it can't be because it's bitter. There are a million bitter things on the earth, and they don't all cure malaria. Anyway, so Hahnemann decided to do a little experiment, which he called approving. He called 10 of his closest MD friends, and he said to them, will you all take a little of this quinchona bark, this Peruvian bark, and see how you react to it? But I want you to keep a very detailed journal, and let me know how you react to it. So they all took this stuff, and they all kept the journal, and everybody had a million, zillion different symptoms, but there were three symptoms that repeated again and again and again in this in everyone's journal, and that was chills, fevers, and diarrhea. Well, those are the three keynote symptoms for malaria. So Hahnemann said, oh, my goodness, if this stuff can cure malaria and it can also, in healthy people, bring on the symptoms of malaria then this is a similar experience. And therefore, people who, if they take a certain substance and they come down with symptoms, if I go wandering through the countryside looking for people who are suffering from those symptoms and give them the same substance, it will cure them. And that's where this whole concept of the law of similars or like cures like came from. Another example. When people get stung by a bee, what happens? There's swelling, there's redness, there's burning, stinging pain. So Hahnemann said to himself, okay, what, what illness is there out there that has swelling, redness, burning, stinging pain? Ah, conjunctivitis in children has that sometimes. So he gave an extract of apis from the honeybee to little children who had conjunctivitis, and guess what? They were cured from it. So that's where this like cures like comes from. You find people who have like symptoms to um, the symptoms someone would get if they took this substance. So it works in a similar, not exactly the same way, but a similar way as a vaccination, where you give a very, very low potency of a natural substance to someone and it winds up building their immunity or builds up their body's ability to fight the symptoms that would come from that substance, like cures life. And isn't that the meaning of the word homeopathy? Yes. Homeopathy, doesn't that translate to similar suffering? Yes, exactly. Very interesting. And what about the use of the minimum dose and, and the creation of the remedies? Well, all scientific studies have shown that the lower the dose of a substance, of a medicine, the more specific its actions can be. So therefore, you know, we're all familiar with this with people who take broad-spectrum antibiotics. And they can heal different things, but there's usually not a drastic response to it. Whereas if you take an antibiotic that's given for a very particular infection, it usually responds much, much better. And so that's what homeopaths find. They want to find a substance that deals with someone's symptoms very, very particularly, and then you don't have to give as much of the substance, and therefore you don't have side effects.
And can you talk about how the remedies are made and just how minimum a dose we're talking about? Because it's quite astonishing, actually, how minimum a dose we're talking about. Sure. Well, Hahnemann kept his medicines, his homeopathic medicines, in his doctor's kit, and he walked around from town to town. And as he walked, his kit went up and down with his arm, you know, as he strutted. And with each pace he took, the medicines kind of jiggled in his bag, and he noticed that the longer he walked, the more strong his medicines became. So what happened is Hahnemann then came up with this process called potentization. And each remedy is not only diluted to make it a lower dose, but it also goes through a vibrational process, which tends, which scientists and doctors have found, make the medicine more potent, increase its strength, and yield a stronger response from the patient. So this actually came upon, you know, Poneman and then later um, homeopaths came upon this accidentally. We have many, many researchers in top medical schools and hospitals today trying to explain why this is so, how you can use medicines that have so low a dose, so little chemical ingredient in it, how they can be so effective in making a drastic change in someone's well-being. There's some great research that's being done in the University of Arizona by a physician, Iris Bell, and there are many other researchers that are working on this. And there's many theories out there as to why these low doses work so well. But to be completely honest, no one is exactly sure, just like no one's sure how you know acupuncture works, although we do know from clinical experience it does work. So we're not exactly sure why these homeopathic remedies are so, you know, um, effective in, in their low-dose form. Because homeopathy is energy medicine, right. is it defying the study of its efficacy through the scientific method, or shall we say our current scientific method? And are there studies that at least prove its efficacy, if not getting into the why of how it's working? And can you envision any shifts in scientific method or ways of looking at this that might yield uh, a greater understanding? In other words, do you see a need for a shift in the way we're even looking at energy medicine? Well, you ask many, many different questions. I know. No, 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 it's great because each aspect of it is important. First of all, homeopathy doesn't defy study because we have countless studies by top researchers that have, you know, shown the effectiveness of homeopathy. There's been studies on everything from diarrhea to depression and anxiety. There were studies done at Duke University. There were studies done at the University of Arizona. Many hospitals and leading universities have had great studies, you know, showing the effectiveness of homeopathy for a number of disorders. So that's number one. So it doesn't defy a study. Unfortunately, though, what is true is that the studies don't reveal the broad effect of the remedy. Remember I said the side effect of homeopathy is that you wind up improving in more um, in more areas than, than the patient generally anticipated. I have patients that come to me for fungus on their toe, and when they call me a few weeks later, they say, you know, I never mentioned to you that I had colitis or that I have chronic headaches or that I've been on medication for chronic anxiety since I was seven. And that has lifted. I mean, it almost seems, in quotes, magical thinking 
Um, but there have been studies that show homeopathy's effectiveness is not because of the placebo effect. Obviously, that's easy to prove because homeopathy is very effective in treating infants who have no clue they're on a remedy, and it's also effective in veterinary medicine, and the animals don't know that they've gotten a remedy. So um, we do see changes that can be quantified in a study. The unfortunate thing is that the study does not show how broad-acting the effects are of homeopathic medicine because our studies tend to examine a single, the way our studies are, are designed nowadays and with the scientific method that we use nowadays, we tend to look at just a change in one factor. Iris Bell, the researcher that I mentioned before, has proposed a wonderful new model to do studies that would, ex which would explore the broad acting or the network of change that happens in a patient after treat, being treated with homeopathy because that's where we really see the difference in homeopathic medicine. Remember at the very beginning of our discussion, you said to me, you know, how does homeopathy differ from many of the other natural medicines? And I said that the biggest difference I've seen is that you see a broader change in the person, you know, not just in their one presenting problem. And I think that's the that's the gem of homeopathy. That's what makes homeopathy as truly, truly valuable. It's it's almost incomparable. We don't see that in other forms of medicine. Otherwise, okay, so why not take a medicine to make your cold go away or why not take an herb for your colitis? But if the homeopathic medicine can really cause a shift across the board, that's what makes it so valuable. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter. So you get it cured by acupuncture or hands-on healing or whatever, it doesn't, it wouldn't matter. That's what really is the gift of homeopathy that gets overlooked. I'm finding that in many, many different fields of endeavor now, the challenge of our time is this challenge of integration and holism, and I'm, I'm just so happy to hear that this is going on. I've always been interested in looking at the history of of movements in uh, in America and around the world, and I'm just curious. Um, homeopathy has been around for a long time, and what is the history of homeopathy in this country? If it is as effective as you say and as you've experienced in your practice and your studies, what are the politics involved with the possible suppression of its widespread use here? And in talking about this, can you point out specific historic uh, and contemporary examples of how the attempts to promote the use of homeopathy have been thwarted or suppressed? Is this what's going on? Well, this is a very interesting story, homeopathy in America. Homeopathy in America is unique. It's very different from homeopathy anywhere else in the world, homeopathy in Europe, Asia, Australia, South America, Africa. Um, homeopathy is the second most commonly uh, practiced form of holistic medicine in the world, second probably to herbs. And homeopathy is the fastest growing form of natural medicine across the globe, throughout the globe. So it's very popular especially in other countries. What's going? What's the story about the U.S.? Here it is. Hahnemann was the physician who came up with the philosophy of homeopathy and the practice of homeopathy. From Germany, homeopathy spread through throughout um, Asia and Europe like wildfire. 
it was adopted by the um, physicians that treated the dignitaries and the leaders of almost every country in Europe and in many parts of Asia. So it was very popular, certainly practiced by the wealthy, certainly adopted in most advanced and industrialized nations. When homeopathy came to the States, it had a very different effect on the medical profession. What happened is it came to the States, and people were very enthusiastic about this new form of low-dose, safe, effective, natural medicine that didn't have any side effects. Now, mind you, remember I said before when homeopathy first came about, the conventional form of medicine included using heavy metals and toxins and leeches and things like that. So it wasn't that homeopathy really had such a tough game to compare to. So homeopathy took off in this country. But this was the only country where a group of people gathered to suppress the spread of homeopathy here. Let me explain this group to you. They formed an organization that would take away the state medical licensure of any physician who practiced homeopathy, referred to a homeopath, or had a family member treated by a homeopath. This organization was named the AMA, the American Medical Association. It boggles the mind to think that it was created in the mid-1800s to suppress homeopathy. That was the sole reason for its formation. And it wasn't that effective at the beginning because what happened is that homeopathy was very effective and it took off and it spread and it grew. And in the first flu epidemic, bird flu epidemic in the United States, there were many homeopathic hospitals at the time. The mortality rate in the conventional hospitals was 28.5%. That's almost a third of the people that were placed in hospitals who had the flu wound up dying, not only having bad symptoms, dying. In the homeopathic hospitals, the mortality rate was 0.5, less than 1%. So now, with statistics like that, you think, how could they ever have killed homeopathy in this country? What happened was that it thrived for many, many years. There were many medical schools that taught homeopathy. There were many hospitals, Flower Fifth Avenue in New York City, Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia. Some of the country's finest hospitals were homeopathic hospitals. What happened was in the 50s with the, um, with the you know, uh, discovery of penicillin and with the new psychotropic drugs and the new drugs which everyone thought were the godsend of medicine and healthcare. No one ever anticipated that we'd have drug-resistant bacteria. No one ever anticipated that many of these medicines would eventually have horrible side effects. No one ever, ever anticipated that people wouldn't react to medicines that initially seemed effective and then over time lost their effectiveness. So what happened is homeopathy, which had such a huge number of strong organizations, the AMA and the also, needless to say, the pharmaceutical companies even more so, once once these new medicines came out, then these other powerful, highly moneyed organizations really could do, you know, what they intended to do and suppress homeopathy in this country. But it really wasn't until the 1900s that they were able to really, you know, squash homeopathy here. Homeopathy was doing pretty well for a while. You're listening to Living Hero at livinghero.com. I'm Jari Chevalier, and I'm talking today with Dr. Lori Grossman. 
So I was going to ask you, why would, you know, the so-called authorities try thwarting something if it is truly safe and effective? And I think you touched upon it with the usual money and power. And also, don't forget, you know, whenever it comes to a huge shift in consciousness or a huge shift in the way we look at something, there is always, you look at history in any field, you look at it in architecture, you look at it in, in design, it's not just in medicine, there's always a core of very conservative people who who are not open to exploring anything in an objective way to see if it really works. There, there are always in every single field in religion, traditionalists who will not change with the time or at least hold on to um, the past or hold on to what's current for as long as they can until there is just so much evidence for the shift that then causes the shift. And I think medicine is just like that. I think it's taken a while. I Believe it or not, I, I, it's hard for me to think of this now, but... When I first started practicing homeopathic medicine, I never, ever thought it would be accepted to the extent that it's accepted in this country in my lifetime. I, I, you know, I started the Department of Homeopathy at New York University. When I first started, you could not mention the word homeopathy in a medical school. There was no way. Now, you know, when I used to teach, it was concerned hippie moms that used to attend my lectures. Now my classes are 99% physicians and nurses. Times have changed tremendously. Okay, so in your experience, where have you seen homeopathy most useful? What common and acute ailments? And also, where is its greatest efficacy in the chronic or degenerative diseases? Oh, my goodness. I've seen homeopathy incredibly effective for the trauma of birth, babies that have a hard time, you know, breathing on birth. Then, of course, the whole lot of pediatric illnesses. Homeopathy is incredibly effective for ear infections, for skin disorders, for any sort of breathing problems, you know, children who come down with asthma or the croup or upper respiratory infections at a young age. So homeopathy is very, very effective in pediatric medicine. Without a doubt. First of all, usually the child hasn't had the problem for that long. They usually haven't had a million suppressive medications, and they usually their cases are pretty clear. So babies respond beautifully to homeopathic medicine. I remember there was an article once in some um, journal where they interviewed uh, Woodson Merrill, who works at Beth Israel Hospital, and he was saying how homeopaths really need to be relied on more in uh, pediatric medicine. Moving right along, um, homeopathy is very effective in, I mentioned skin disorders, also in GI complaints, women's health. Homeopathy is very effective for, boy, if I could get my hands on any woman who has problems with fertility, with their menses, with um, onset of menses, women who are going through menopause, you can make so many people happy. Um, with these hormonal problems, which we seem not to have an answer for. Homeopathy is very effective in the side effects, dealing with the side effects of treatments for cancer, radiation treatment, chemotherapy, the weakness, the nausea, um, the skin irritation that can come from any of that, the pain that's associated with cancer. Homeopathy is very effective in treating. I really could go on. I must mention, in terms of 
um, things that respond very well to homeopathy. The one area that most people overlook, which for me is my true passion because I've seen the biggest changes, and that's homeopathic treatment for emotional disorders or emotional challenges, anxiety, panic attacks, low self-esteem, depression, postpartum depression. There's a huge shift that can happen in people who've tried medications and they haven't worked, a huge shift in people who've been to every therapist on the planet, hypnotherapy, talk therapy, cognitive therapy, um, analysis. Use Homeopathy just works deeply, gently, and effectively, and the person doesn't have to wrestle with you know, why do I feel this way? A homeopathic remedy can be prescribed for people who really don't know why or people who do know why. It doesn't matter. Their emotional problem is what it is. It's very effective for emotional disorders. It's actually, as I said, it's my passion because I see huge shifts there. For almost any disorder, you will find a homeopath who really has a lot of success with these different problems. The one thing that's probably most difficult to treat is chronic degenerative neurological problems. Those I personally in my practice have had the toughest time dealing with. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for this information. There are, I know, points of controversy among homeopaths, different ways of treating and different philosophies, the classical homeopath and there are other people treating with mixed remedies and, and so forth and there's lots of tinctures available in health food stores that blend remedies with different dosages and I'm just wondering if you can share with us who are the major players in the world of homeopathy and these these lines of thought, and where do you personally stand in relationship to these various outlooks? Well, I'm going to downplay the controversy that's within the profession, only because I think that these controversies that are born within professions wind up demolishing the profession in general, and they do nobody any good. I come from a Jewish background, and there are Orthodox Jews who don't consider Reformed Jews Jewish. I was licensed as a chiropractor as well, and there are certain kind of chiropractors that don't think that people who practice different forms of chiropractic should have a chiropractic license. And I think that this kind of infighting tends to destroy any profession, any group, any philosophy. So I'm going to kind of back away from it and say that instead of attacking each other, people who concentrate in different forms, I kind of like to say that let's find a place for each of these different players or each of these different groups that have different outlooks. And I think that homeopathy is the ideal profession for people to practice in different ways. Why do I say that? Number one, homeopathy is very complicated. There are many, there are thousands of remedies. Four, it's estimate 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 different homeopathic remedies on the planet. It would take a lifetime to master every single one of these remedies. I usually say to students of mine that after you've studied with me for 10 years, you can call yourself a beginner. Homeopathy is not easy. You can't learn it in a weekend. That being said, I do think that there's a place for people who use simple cell salts, which are a group of just 12 homeopathic remedies that work on different physical maladies. Very simple to practice, very effective for a few problems, but there is a place for that kind of practice. In a similar way, there's a place for people who practice mixed remedies or these combination remedies. They're much easier to prescribe. 
Generally, in a mixed remedy, there might be anywhere from three different medicines in the mixed remedy to 12. Generally, they're easier to prescribe because there are lots of different homeopathic remedies. They're more broad spectrum, which remember I used that example before of a broad spectrum antibiotic. It tends to affect more people but not as deeply. And then there's the place for classical homeopathy. And classical homeopathy is used by people who really use homeopathy as their sole profession. They dedicate their lives to studying these thousands of different remedies. And they really master the art of understanding the core of and the essence of these thousands of different remedies and the and their application to the suffering of humanity. So I don't think that there's one way that's best to practice. If someone has a busy medical practice and they don't have much time to study homeopathic remedy, there's nothing wrong with just learning the cell salts. If someone, say, is an herbalist who has many people that come to them and they want to master a few more homeopathic remedies for acute disorders, colds, coughs, sore throats, you know, diarrhea, you know, whatever it is, then that's an appropriate place for them. If there's someone that has the time and the passion and the inclination to study the thousands of different homeopathic remedies and really wants to get a huge grip on the whole philosophy of homeopathy, then classical homeopathy is best for them. And guess what? There are different people that are drawn to these different types of practitioners as well. And it's all good. And it's all good. Isn't that nice? Yes. I want to get into talking about something. Uh, when I met you and read some of your materials and uh, learned a little bit more about what you were about, I was particularly interested in how you address the ways homeopathy promotes creativity and deeper sensitivity on the part of both the practitioner and the patient. And I'd love it if you could get into talking with us about that. Sure. Well, I'll start with the patient and then remind me if I forget to touch upon how it affects the homeopath, the practitioner. I mentioned before that homeopathy affects the physical body, emotional aspects of what the person is experiencing, also the mental. Most of us, or at least people from my generation, I was born in the 50s, when we grew up with medicine and we took a medicine we saw a change in just a single component of our well-being. Our cough went away, our tummy ache disappeared, our headache vanished. Homeopathic medicines change the whole being. It really were It's a true holistic medicine. It really invigorates the whole person. And so you see changes on the physical, physical realm that you didn't anticipate or that most people don't anticipate, certainly people who grow up with medicine as I experienced it. So your body becomes, within a very short period of time, more flexible, stronger. Your body feels different. Emotionally, you don't change. You stay who you are. If you're a sensitive person, you stay sensitive. But your sensitivity doesn't get in the way of your enjoying your day. Your sensitivity doesn't remain a point where you're stuck. So someone who might be irritable, let's move on from sensitivity and say someone who's irritable, they might tend to be a somewhat irritable person, but they'll react to a situation which causes irritability, but then they'll be able to go back into a balanced state much more easily. So they'll be able to take in more that there is to experience joyously in life. 
Okay, so that's emotionally. Now mentally. I said that homeopathic remedies work mentally on the mental sphere as well. So your thinking becomes clearer. You're being able, you're a, one is able to focus, you know, more readily and with greater ease after taking the appropriate homeopathic remedy. When you have a shift in your body that's so um, all-encompassing, what happens is that you find, much to your surprise, that your thoughts are able to be, your thoughts just are more creative. You're able to plug into your passions better. You're able to make decisions more clearly because your your body is just in a more open state and you're able to, I guess, um, what's that, you know, old expression? You, you go with the flow more and you just are able to draw in the situations that are more appropriate for you, that bring you more towards the place that you really can express your gifts, and you don't get stuck in those places where, you know, physical places that hold you back, you don't get stuck in emotional situations that hold you back, and you wind up living a more creative life. You certainly do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now has this effect, all of this affect the practitioner? It affects the practitioner because, Throughout the day, you're hearing these stories of the patients that they have not shared with anyone. Where else, besides the homeopathic setting, do you share your past your and your current emotional symptoms, your mental symptoms, your physical symptoms? There's no place else where we share all of that. My patients are always astonished at the number of questions I ask and then at the depth of them. When I say to them, okay, what's your anxiety like? They go, well, I get anxious. And I go, no, 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 tell me more. They go, well, I get the jit. And I say, tell me more. And they say to me, well, it's like it's like before I go to speak in front of a group, I get nervous. I can describe that nervousness to me. Describe it so much so that if I was in a play that was based on your life, and I had to stand on a stage, people would say, oh, my God, it was just like Francis or it was just like Tom. I want to be able to really step into your moccasins, to use another expression, so that the homeopath becomes so exquisitely sensitive to the experiences of other people on the planet. And now, mind you, we don't only get experience, we don't only become sensitive to the positive ones, you know, people who are overly concerned about their children. We certainly hear stories about people who, you know, a mother who has postpartum depression who says to me, you know, I just want, you know, I wish I could just leave my kid in the street. And most people who are being treated for postpartum depression don't share that specific thought. They don't share the depth of those feelings with anybody else. And a homeopath, in order to be a good homeopath, must be able to hear those stories without judgment. Otherwise, you'll never find the right remedy. And is this the sort of thing that turns up then in the repertory and in the materia medica feels like leaving their kid in the street? Yes, exactly. That's a very, that's, I'm glad you, you know, brought that up. That's exactly what is written in the repertory because as I said, in home, in you know, remember I used the example before of a headache. I won't just say, "Oh, you have head pain." I'll say, "Where does it hurt? When does it hurt? What's the onset like?" Well, if someone comes to me with postpartum depression, I will then say, "Okay, when you describe your sadness, tell me what exactly is going on. Are you overwhelmed with all the responsibility? 
Is it that you think that you can't handle it? Is it that you fear like you're going crazy? Is it that you just want to be alone? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are many, many different expressions of postpartum depression out there. And for a homeopath, you better master the 4,000 different expressions if you want to find the right remedy that will then alleviate these symptoms in the patient. It wouldn't surprise me at all if over time and the deeper study of how this all works, that simply the, the level of empathy and compassion involved in the taking and the treating of the case of actually increasing the person's awareness and their experience of the exquisite sensitivity, to borrow your phrase, of their doctor, if that in itself isn't a tremendous healing tool and healing power. It's very exciting also to hear about how over time this way of treating could be removing some of the body's busyness with defending itself, the sort of disarmament of the body so that this more open, creative, sensitive person can move around in the world. It's just, it's really fascinating. You you know what I compare it to, if you'll just let me expand on what you just said. I always say to my patients, you know, I'm so happy that I work with things that are found in nature, because we don't judge nature. We don't say, oh, that damn cactus and its pointy spines that if you bump into it, we appreciate it. We don't judge the lion for the fact that it attacks other animals. We don't judge the snake for the way it hides and then can lash out. Yet we judge humans. And we judge ourselves when we have the same exact expressions that are found in the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom or the mineral kingdom. And so I try to show that to patients, that you know what? We aren't all born the same. You know, sometimes parents who have children who are real bullies, they'll come to me and they go, I can't believe I had this kid. And they feel guilty and they can't understand how they raised a child like that. And they don't know who to blame. And unfortunately, their options are blame myself, blame the community, blame the world, or blame the kid. Or blame my ancestors for the genes. And the truth of the matter, it isn't about blame. It's about accepting that this is the being before us, and they are expressing a natural tendency that's found on this planet. And if we would just accept it and find something that might just ease this person's experience so that it doesn't come out as drastically, then we can move forward and help to heal the world and make the world a better place. Very lovely. So just to wind up, Lori, uh, For people who might want to investigate this further, what would you recommend in the way of books or other media, and how can people get in touch with you? Well, I always recommend people call me. I travel all over the country, and I travel internationally offering workshops to not only universities and medical centers, but I love working in small groups, groups of moms who want to gather to find out the best homeopathic remedies for childhood disorders. I gather to, you know, at um, their places which are shelters for abused women, which have me, you know, come to speak, and I'll work with a small group of women on homeopathic remedies to raise self-esteem 
but to help a woman, you know, speak out more, you know, a woman who doesn't have a tendency to do that or finds that difficult. So I love offering workshops, and they don't have to be done in university settings or medical institutions or things like that, although if anybody has connections, I love, you know, being able to participate in groups that are ongoing where um, someone thinks I could be a good fit. So I expect... I receive calls from people all over. I love talking to people individually about how I can help them or how I can guide them um, to understanding homeopathy and some homeopathic remedies that might work for them. So, And the best way to get in touch with me is either um, through my email address, which is my name at gmail.com, and that's Lori Grossman. The only tricky part is spelling my name correctly, and that's L-A-U-R-I-G-R-O-S-S. M-A-N at gmail.com, so Laurie Grossman at gmail.com, or my website, which for now, before it gets revised, it's Homeopathy Cafe, H-O-M-E-O-P-A-T-H-Y, Homeopathy Cafe, C-A-F-E dot com. Um, so those are two ways to get in touch with me. My phone number is 212-787-4445. And Homeopathic Educational Services is a company out in Berkeley, California, which carries a wonderful list of some of the best homeopathic books. Many are written by Dana Ullman, U-L-L-M-A-N. He's a wonderful author. And Judith Reichenberg Ullman is another wonderful author who's written some wonderful specific books on homeopathy. In addition to her Patient's Guide to Homeopathic Medicine, She's written some wonderful specific books like Ritalin Free Kids, Rage Free Kids. She has a book for women as well. So she's a delightful author. I'm a huge fan of Judith Reichenberg Ullman. Anything else, Lori, that you'd like to add about what you'd like to see happening and what you're working towards? Well, what I'd like to see happen is to help heal a suffering humanity. My way of doing that is to help bring low-cost, safe, effective, nature-based medicines that help to heal mind, body, and spirit to a suffering humanity. So anybody that can help me with my grassroots effort to provide this sort of healing that's gentle, that doesn't have any side effects, that's very simple, anybody that can make any connections to help me with this effort, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it because there's certainly many people, just like my son who had that fever so, so many years ago, There's so many people that can be cured in a simple and safe manner, and we just aren't aware of that in this country, in the United States, and it's time for us to turn that around. I am with you, Lori. Thank you so much for talking with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Jari.